What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Imperfect Church Podcast. I'm your host, Brian. I have a special guest today, my dad. So I've been waiting for this podcast for a while. Definitely was nervous about asking him, but I'm glad I did. And he said yes. So here we are. So, Dad, welcome to the Imperfect Church. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, guess to give you the history of this podcast, as you know, a few years a few years ago, I wanted to be in ministry, and the funny thing is, is it did not work out, which I'm grateful that it didn't work out. But instead, I decided to make this podcast to kind of give my journey and show how I'm growing and what I'm learning as a man. So that's where the history of this podcast came from, which. You know, I'm thankful and grateful as a man to grow up with you as my father and learning a lot of lessons from you. Some of them easy, hilarious lessons, but also some of them really hard um, just because you've always been a very straight arrow. So do you think your upbringing had to do with that or is just you felt that was best as a father at that time? Well, my upbringing did have a lot to do with that because I came from a family where I was raised by my grandfather and my mother. My grandfather was a very deepest religious man, but also a man of very, very impeccable character. Uh, He taught me a lot. My mother, on the other hand, was a little different. Uh, She was the type who said what was on our mind. Yeah. But my grandfather was a very religious man. Or, uh, he believed in treating everybody. He loved his family. He loved his neighbors. He's well respected. And the things he taught us as children, <clears throat> I think and strongly believed made us the people that we have become. And I wanted to instill the values that my mother and more so my grandfather instilled in me. And a lot of things I didn't like about the way we were brought up, uh, particularly my mother, because as I said, she didn't uh, bite her tongue. She said what was on her mind and a lot of times those things would hurt. And I would always tell myself, you know, if I ever had a child, I would never do that. Yeah. I'd never do that. So, always try to do the right thing. Always try to guide you in a direction that I knew was safe and right for you. But there again, we were all young at one time. And I know as a parent, you try to teach your children the right way, but there's no guarantee. And you hope that in their journey, they will come to realize the things you were trying to teach them and tell them was for your own good. Yeah. And I think that's interesting because there's so much stuff, you know, being a father now for 10 years, there's so much stuff you tell your child that you don't even realize you're telling them, hey, Don't do this. Hey, look out for that. Mm -hmm. And I never forget, I think it was like when Emery was beginning to walk, Mm -hmm. I noticed myself almost repeating verbatim word for word what you and mom would always tell me. 
And I remember going like, where did I hear that from? Like, I, I know, but it's so funny how much gets ingrained in us as a kid that we don't realize that, you know, that foundation that's set before us, the, the, the lessons that we learn. And, you know, there's, I don't think there's such thing as being a perfect parent. I think that's probably one of the most rewarding, but probably one of the most defeating roles you can have as a human being. Yeah, there's no textbook on being a parent, particularly being a good parent. Uh, a lot of that is on-the-job training. Right. And uh, if you have any morals about yourself, you would try to instill those morals in your children as best you can. Uh, every parent has made mistakes. We all do. But I guess as a child, I've always tried to instill in you the right thing to do. Uh, I don't know if my approach was always the best way, but still we tried. Yeah. We still tried. And uh, I think I did a pretty decent job. You, you did a great job. I think one of the probably challenges I had was I felt like I was really sensitive as a child. Like almost too sensitive. I never forget. You probably don't even remember this. One of the things you said to me is you said you'll be a better man when you stop being so sensitive. <laughs> and and I know you didn't mean that is you didn't mean that in the sense of you can't express emotions or you can't express feelings. I think what you were trying to teach me is you can't act out of your emotions or your feelings. Yeah. And I think a lot of times as men, that's hard to do because, you know, a lot of times it's, it's not, we, society tells a man it's not okay for you to cry. It's not okay for you to be over emotional, but that's foolishness. Yeah, it is foolishness and the, uh, the roots of that go way, way back. Uh, <clears throat> because as a young man growing up, as you know, I never knew my father, but on the other hand, uh, you very rarely ever, if any, saw a man show any type of affection. That's crazy. Affection, even at funerals, you know, I've heard people say, if you really saw a man cry at a funeral, I mean, that it was a really, really, really a sad occasion. You yeah. know, for women, it, that was a set, you know, because they're, by nature, they're just more emotional. Right. But in those days, when you saw a man sh show that emotion, you know, it was really, really bad. You know, right. I mean, I mean, it was just heartfelt, you know, because men always was taught to stand strong no matter what. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So have you ever had to uh, like, even as a young man or even as an adult, suppress your feelings? Yeah, yeah, I have. But there again, uh, going to college and being somewhat educated, uh, you begin to accept uh, the notion that it's okay to show your emotions. Right. To show affection because I deal with you. 
Yeah, you were very a lot of time, loving a lot dad. of time. And yeah, very loving dad. Where not, you know, like some of my uh, uh, uncles and aunts, and even my grandfather is a wonderful man as I thought he was. He never showed affection. His love was done more by his deeds, right? The things he did, right? You know, with his grandchildren and for his grandchildren. But so far, granddaddy coming to one of us and saying that I love you. You never heard that. That's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy, but that was the way it was during those days. Man wasn't supposed to do that. I don't know whether they looked at it as a sign of weakness or what, but that was just the way it was. I think for a lot of men, they do look at it as weakness. I think the evolution of of parenting the evolution of men being able to display their emotions and their true character is now more acceptable and then it's like you got to be a man or toughen up and i mean i think a lot of it too comes when you're raising black kids you know that no one else is going to give them a chance and you want them to be as strong as possible as prepared as possible for the world yeah that's true uh, you've heard me say more than once that uh, <clears throat> most parents want their child's life to be better than their own. Right. And uh, you do your best to prepare them for the life ahead uh, because life is so many challenges in life. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's almost, <laughs> I don't know. As I say, it's mountains and valleys and highs and lows. Right. And bitters and sweets. Right. You name it. That's what life is, you know. And uh, it all boils down to how you deal with it and how well you handle it and how well you adapt to it. Right. And uh, some can, some can't. That is very true. Um, I, I think... As you get older, of course, you should get wiser. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't always happen to everybody. And I think it's funny that we all grow up at a different time. Some people are forced to grow up really young. Some people get to live their life well into, and then they decide like this moment where you grow up. Um, did you, can you identify like an age or, or around the time where you were like, okay, I'm, I'm grown, I'm an adult now. Well, Robo calls from going crazy today. <laughs> I think uh, once I was married, uh, and you came along, uh, I guess I felt more in tune with my responsibility as a parent. Right. Uh, even when you were first born, uh, your mother and I, we still would go out on occasion, you know, doing things we did while we were single. Right. And uh, when you came along, that gradually kind of went away. And uh, then we had more focus on family. Right. 
and uh, uh, you know, uh, was either we was with her family or my family, and the center of our attention was always on you, making sure you had what you needed. Our needs and our wants went on the back burner. Yeah. And your needs went to the front. I mean, you were, uh, and I guess that was kind of maturity for me because, as I mentioned to you earlier, I think I was around 31 when I got married. Right. And I had been out and I had my fun. What you met your mother, we fell in love and we got married. And, you know, it wasn't long after that, you came along and I guess becoming, getting married at that age and having worked and, you know, and tried to make a life for myself and your mother the same thing, that it was able for us to come together in somewhat of a mature manner of handling the uh, job of being parents. Yeah. Yeah. I, so it was a uh, it was good experience for both of us. And of course, your mother, I don't think she would, could have been any better mother than what she was. Yeah. She, because she really, 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 uh, she gave you a lot of attention. Uh, it wasn't nothing too good for you. She wanted you to have everything she could give you. And I did too. Uh, you was just the uh, gift that God gave us to cherish, to love, and to uh, hope nothing but the best for. We want you to have the best life that you could have. Still do. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that more than I could ever tell you or express. I think one of the cool things you told me about you and mom's story is that y'all used to go on dates once a week. Yeah. And, uh, did y'all ever see each other more than once a week when y'all were dating? Or it was always like, what, Tuesday night was y'all's night? I think it was Wednesday night, if I'm not mistaken. It had been so long ago. I believe it was uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, that was our date night. And uh, I would either go to Durham, to where she was, or she'd come to Raleigh. And uh, she'd fix dinner for me a lot of times. And sometimes we would go out to eat. But that was just our designated night for date night. But uh, even during that time, we always uh, were together on weekends. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. we was always together on weekends. Uh, we was either going uh, out to eat or we just hang out at her house or she hang out at my apartment or um, we go to some club or something, you know. Yeah. We was always doing fun things together. I always say your generation had the most fun. <laughs> I, I wish I could have grew up when you grew up, for sure. I know nowadays, you know, a lot of what takes away people's attention and ability to have connection is just technology. Yeah. And, you know, I think you and I were talking about it Sunday, the difference between dating and your generation and dating in my generation a lot. So much of it occurs over a phone or over an app or through the internet, it's electronic. And that, yeah. I think that hurts yeah. so many people. And you know, I often wonder, uh, I know when they uh, 
try to find uh, someone on the internet, uh, it seems like there's a missing element. But there again, when you look at it, I guess these people eventually meet and get to know each other on a personal level rather than through texting or internet or however they do it. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, I, I just can't see me doing that. Right. Well, one of the things that I, I've always admired about you is that I don't want to say you have a disdain for technology because I don't think you have that, but you are almost were hit to the game when it came to like smartphones and how it draws people in and they get addicted to it. Well, it's just that uh, uh, I know I don't have anything against technology because, you know, as I've always said, you're not going to ever stop the wagon of progress. That's true. <laughs> it's going to keep right on rolling. That's very true. You know, whether you get on board or not. And uh, uh, for me personally, uh, you know, I have all I need. It might be nice to have a smartphone, but uh, uh, I don't want anything that's going to take control of me. Like I've seen those phones do a lot of people. Yeah. You know, you know, like I've mentioned before, you know, even if I'm on my computer, my laptop, or and I'm on the internet, after a while I've had my feel of it. Yeah. I think the funniest thing you ever told me about phones are, because I think <laughs> Rachel and I were talking about getting you a smartphone. And I remember you saying, as nice as that phone is, I see how much you two look at it, and I don't want that. I don't. That's the only. That's the reason I ain't got one. <laughs> that's the only reason. Well, <laughs> probably the price. <laughs> you don't want to be sucked into the uh, matrix. <laughs> I, I don't want to be sucked into no two hundred dollar bill a month. <laughs> you know, no more than I use a phone. You yeah. know, and uh, my little flip phone you know, serves my purpose. Yeah. And uh, uh, even though ain't much on there, but there again. You know, uh, for what I need, you know, if I can't get it on my laptop, I guess I don't need it. See, that's my goal in life once I retire is to be able to get a flip phone. You'll never go back to that. How come I won't? You won't. You think that's I'll just, never... That's you just like going back to building fires to cook your supper. You well, I'll never go back to that. But what I'm saying is... They're probably flip phones won't even exist. They, they might not. But what I'm saying is I want to get to a point in my life where I'm not on a screen. Like, I think about it. Like, I go into work probably between 6.45 and 7 o'clock, and that entire day I'm looking at a screen. Yeah. And when I get out of work, of course... A screen is a form of entertainment. You can go on YouTube and you can watch videos from right now to the day I die and probably never watch the same thing. And I want to get to the point where, and I try to do this with all my friends now, is actually pick up the phone and call them. Yeah. Instead of sending a text, yeah, texts are fine for little short, hey, let's meet here, what are you doing this weekend? But actually calling people, checking in with people, seeing mm -hmm. how they're doing. That's something I try to always do. I'm that friend that'll call my friends. Right. You know? And and it's hard too because I'm thankful that I don't have any social media anymore. Oh. Outside of uh 
uh, Instagram page for this podcast where literally, hey, an episode's coming out one day. Other than that, I don't look at it. I don't scroll on it. I don't have any other way of knowing what everybody else is doing unless somebody calls me and tells me or texts me. And uh, why did you decide on all of this? Because you'll probably remember this uh, four or five years ago was I used to always be on my phone. Yeah. And social media for me, it gave me a false sense of importance. Like, you know, back in the day, I say I say that as if I'm like old, but back in the day, the only way you would see your face is on pictures in your house or if you were in a newspaper or if you were on a news story. And mm-hmm. now people you constantly can see yourself and people are posting what they eat, they're posting their families. And, you know, that's cool if it works for you and that's something. But for me, I always wanted to be present with the people that I love and the people that are around me. And I don't, I guess the things that I value the most in life, like my wife and my daughter and you and mom and family, I don't believe that that's something to be shared with the world. Yeah. You know, like I I never forget when Emery was born like only taking black and white pictures of her and only posting it from a distance and never like, you know, never even saying her name. Like I always refer to her as PB because I never wanted me and her to be out in public and somebody can scream her name or try to get her attention. It just, for me, it was almost a, a protection thing. Right. Because I feel like so often when we are conversing or being in the void of social media or the internet we're no longer personal right people you know that's people's you know measure for if they're important or not if people like them or not by what people like and say and i'm thinking to myself that's not real that's true and uh i think uh, that's where uh, social media has hurt a lot of people uh, there again I've said it many times it, it makes us very uh, impersonal uh, somehow it it makes me feel like people get to a point where they cannot verbally express themselves to another person yeah and, you know uh, it seems like they can put it on social media without even having a second thought about what I posted. Right. And uh, I don't think that's good uh, long term. I don't think it's good for a person. And uh, it may not happen in my lifetime, but I often wonder what will all this do to the people in our society? It's already, It's. I don't think it can be reversed. Probably not. Because did you know, like on the phone, how a phone dings, the notifications, your brain actually shoots off dopamine. It's the same thing if you get really excited or if you're on drugs, like there's an addiction. You know, we're creatures of habit. Yeah. And so when you are so in a habit of certain things and what feeds people's self-esteem sometimes is what someone else says. Yeah. And it give, it does give you a false sense of encouragement a false sense of importance, a false sense of encouragement. And people say things because they know that there's distance between them and the other person. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, uh, 
have a hard time uh, hearing about some of these social media uh, platforms and you know they have uh, some of these celebrities who have uh, you know these millions of followers right and I never could understand that in that even though they may have a million followers they really don't even know these people. No, you just. I have mean, over what? What does that? What does that do t to you to know that you have all these followers who probably are reading your post, reading about your life, or whatever you want known about yourself? And there again, you don't even know these people. So what do you get out of that? I mean, what is, I, I don't quite understand what is the purpose of it. I think it makes people feel important. If you think about how many people, I, I guess let's look at it like this. How many people don't have real friends? How many people don't have people that can correct them? Like, hey, you're tripping. Or, hey, you probably shouldn't have said that. Or even people that are willing to listen to to do that. And when people have this massive following, anytime you have any type of leadership position or power, that's responsibility. Well, a lot of people don't see it that way. And also, too, is as human beings, we're all flawed. So why would you want to put your flaws on such a big platform to be criticized, to be ridiculed? Like, I'd much rather make a mistake in private and be corrected in private than in public. That's true. I agree with you. I agree with you, but uh, for, some, for some reason or another, uh, most people don't see it that way. You know, uh, I don't know. Maybe just uh, just part of the times and the world we live in today. You know, people's attitudes have changed about a lot of things. And there again, they can go on social media and just post how they feel about this or that issue or what's going on in everything and you know i just uh, don't quite understand why people have to would, or would want their personal feelings to be in the cloud yeah you know where everybody can access it and read it and uh, i just don't quite understand that yeah i, I mean i mean i'd rather confide in someone if I had an issue or a problem someone that I knew and someone that I trusted rather than just putting it out on the internet to a bunch of people that don't really care right and it's just like even with you and I we had a really long good conversation on Sunday Yeah. but I'm pretty sure if someone who didn't know you and I personally or could I even understand where we we're coming from, we probably both would have got canceled. <laughs> even though we don't got nothing to cancel, right. we both would have got canceled. Right. But that's the, that, and I, I feel like that's what people need. Yeah. You need to be able to express yourself to someone who's not going to harm you, but listen to you for understanding. Right. right. Where you can express your opinion, even if it's, not in line what society says or and who cares what society says anyway because it constantly changes yeah 
And I think uh, as you uh, grow older and mature, uh, and there again, it's, it's difficult to say about your generation, but my generation, uh, uh, we deal with things a little bit differently. You know, just like myself, uh, I don't uh, try to condemn social media, but it's, it's nothing that I want to be a part of. Right. And it's not that uh, I don't, I just don't feel that that's right for me. Right. Because I want to maintain as much privacy about myself as I can and talk about parts of my life with someone that I feel comfortable telling it to. Right. I don't want to have to go on social media to uh, express myself or, you know, uh, telling all my things about my personal life. I don't think, to me, that's not the place to do it. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know, and as I said many times, these people, uh, they post all these things and and do you think that people really read that stuff? Really care? I don't. I don't think that they care. But also, it doesn't help the situation. Like, no, it like if I have a problem with you, but I go tell, let's say I have fifteen hundred followers, I go tell fifteen hundred people I don't like my dad. He said this to me. That makes me look like a terrible person. Yeah. Because to me, is if you have an issue with someone. You need to have a conversation with that person. Exactly. And then when you have that conversation, be willing to understand that you may not see eye to eye and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, because no people sees the same thing the same way. You know, that's just the way it is. You know, uh, God created all of us differently. And, uh, you know, no two people are alike. We all have our likes and dislikes. Whether it's food, whether it's television programs, whether it's the uh, sunshine or the rain, you right. know, everybody's different. Why do you think people have such a hard time disagreeing with other people? Well, I think a lot of it is is not being able or not willing to see things full circle. Right. You know, like if there's an issue. A lot of times you may feel strongly about an issue, but I have found, and I've been victim of that too, uh, where you know you might have a strong opinion about something, and then I found that the best way is to hear the whole story, to hear both sides, right? Both sides of the tracks, and then. Once you hear both sides, sometimes you will come across a part of that issue that you haven't even thought about. Or part of it that, you know, may have more substance than you thought. Right. And once you hear the hear or see the big picture or the whole picture, then you can come out with, you know, uh what you like and what you don't like. You might even change your mind. It might even change your opinion. Right. If you hear the whole picture or see the whole picture. And one thing I found out about 
any issue is uh, you have to learn to respect another person's opinion. That is true. That is very, very true. You have to learn because in their minds, and it should be in your mind, that they're expressing how they feel. And yeah. if you feel differently, that don't mean that this man's wrong. Right. You know, he's expressing his opinion. You express yours, even though they might be different. But, you know, as I say, you know, everybody's different. Everybody don't see things the same way. So, listen, listen, and listen, and then think about it. That is true. I think, I think it's really hard for people to listen to understand yeah. and to sometimes hold their reaction until they get full understanding. Yeah. And a lot of times we feel like it's not okay to disagree. Disagreeing doesn't make someone wrong either. Right. And that's, I think that's hard. It's like, and, if, and it's funny when I think about it, like you've never had a disagreement with someone and said something to them that made them go, oh, never mind, I changed my mind. Oh. Like if you think about it, that's, that's just like, I'm a Carolina Panthers fan. If someone's a Dallas Cowboys fan, there's nothing I can really say to them. They're like, you know what? I'm a Panthers fan now. It just doesn't happen. People like what they like. That's exactly right. And uh, you'll find that right across the board, uh, you know. I could say everybody's different, you know? And there again, too, you often ask yourself the question, do you really know a person, someone you dealt with, someone that you've been friends with? Do you really, really know that person? Or do you really want to know that person? You know what I'm saying? That's pretty deep. Yeah. Do you know you that person? You don't really know. You and don't really you, get to know a person. You said, do you know that person? Then you said, do you want to know that person? Which are two completely different things. Yeah, that's true. But if you ever met a person that you thought was a good friend of yours and from your dealings with him, you thought you knew him pretty well, well, then you ask yourself the question, do you really know that person? I could probably think of a few people. Not a whole lot, but a few. Because uh, I don't believe you ever really, really know, know becomes, I don't really believe that you really can say that you know a person. Because we don't. You don't know what they're thinking all the time. You might get an idea. Do you think or, you... Or, 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 a lot of times they might not express things, but somehow you get this vibe that, you know, there's something different about them. You mean like their character? Yeah, that's part of it, yeah. Have you ever known someone that you're like, yeah, that's my homeboy, we're cool, and then you realize they got questionable character? Yeah. I met a lot of people like that. A lot of them. And it's you either because of something they said, and they didn't realize what they said or they didn't realize how uh, the person that they said it to would respond or react or feel about what they said. Right. And sometimes they say it and don't even realize what they said. 
They don't realize it might have affected someone. But see, that's when you see their real character. Exactly. And if you ever really want to see somebody's real character, it's how they treat somebody that can't do nothing for them. Right. That's who somebody really is. And uh, I remember one time uh, I was working with this woman. And uh, I think at, at this time, during this time, uh, Whoopi Goldberg was dating Ted Danson. Oh, yeah. The, the, he, uh, yeah, the, the white actor. Yeah. yeah. And this person I worked with, I always thought she was a very, very nice person, you know. I mean, just a, a wonderful uh, co-worker. And she said, Do you reckon that that will hurt his career dating her? <laughs> and, you know, and I thought to myself, why would she say that? But, there you go. She said what exactly why she felt about it. Right. And she the and the reason she said it was because she was a black woman. Right. You know, if if he was dating a, 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 a white woman, that thought would have never even entered her mind. Yeah. But being that he was white and she was black, even though she was a celebrity. First thing she think, well, this is gonna hurt his career simply because he's dating a black woman. Yeah. Now, did you ask her to expound upon no, that? No, I or didn't. This is what you no, took I didn't. From? I just took in what she said. I now, just took in what she said. Now, how did you interact and respond with her after that? Did you the same way the I same always way? do? You know, but I knew. Hey. I guess it was a good thing in a sense because I know what she felt inside. <laughs> yeah. About that. Right. Hey, you know, the same thing another guy I was working with. Uh, this guy, man, he didn't bite his tongue, man. You know, he, he used to talk about uh, all our heroes is like Muhammad Ali. Right. He, he said Muhammad Ali wasn't nothing but a draft dodger. Wow. You know, it, it didn't matter to him, you know, that what the man was trying to do was against his religious beliefs. No, he was a draft dodger. Yeah. And he didn't bite his tongue about it. He didn't care. Yeah. He didn't care. And I think with race, it's, it's such a complicated issue. Very complicated. And um, in our society, I think, I personally think that racism is worse now than it was even in your time. Well, yeah. Because I, I, I feel like people would much rather deal with an overtly racist person. Like if you if you knew I didn't like you, I think you would be more comfortable than the people who smile in your face and then do something dirty behind your back. Well, I tell you, uh, you probably would know uh, exactly who to avoid. Right. When you know that this guy don't like you, uh, rather than, like you say, uh, somebody who's a snake in the grass. Right. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, but, you know, uh, I've dealt with racism uh, as, as a young man and, you know, certain parts of my life. But 
I remember as a young man, you, a lot of things we accepted, you know, this, this is just the way it is, you know, and really had no idea what we could do about it. Now, you grew up in the 50s and 60s. Did Were you taught you're black, so be careful? Or were you taught that we have to take care of our own, we have to have pride? What made, because... Because to me, experiencing segregation, seeing people be overtly racist would have, I'm not going to say it would have caused me to be prejudiced towards other people, but how did you grow up and not hate? Because our parents never taught us hate. Even though we lived in segregated South in a small town, Black parents never taught their children hate. And you just think what it would have been like if they did. Yeah. And I think it was because uh, our parents wanted us to be safe and to know our place. Now, I know that don't sound too good on the surface, but In a sense, when I was a young man growing up in segregation, or uh, it was almost like most black people were conditioned to the point where they knew their place. Indirectly, in the back of our minds, white folks wanted us to think that we were second class. Wow. And, and it doesn't matter well how much money they had or, or what their social economic status was. Right. We were always in the back of our mind made to be to think that we were not as good as they are as people. Yeah. And uh, uh, that was just the way they were looked at. And a lot, of, like I said, a lot of us became conditioned to just think that, even though we wouldn't verbalize that. Right. But that was the way you was made to think. Yeah. You know. Uh, Were you ever afraid of white people? No. Ne never at any point in life you were a fearful. No. 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 I would look at them and, uh, uh, you know, like I said, we knew our place. Right. And that, you know, uh, you know, a lot of places we would go where they would have... Uh, uh, segregated uh, restaurants and things. Well, not necessarily. There wasn't a whole lot of restaurants back then, but they used to have these places where you could go and, you know, order a hot dog. But like one place that comes to mind, they had a place called the Southern Pig in Elizabeth City. And uh, this place had a open... A uh, window in the front, right? Where, and when black people came to place their orders, you had to go to that window and order your stuff. But behind this place, they had a restaurant for whites only. Oh wow! Yeah. So like a legit whole restaurant yeah. for whites in only. the back, Dang. but black people couldn't go there. You, if you went there to get anything, you had to go to that window. 
right. to order your stuff. Now, when you went to the window, was it a white person serving you or a black person serving you? Uh, sometimes it was white. Then some. Sometimes they had a, a black person working there, working the window. Gotcha. But I'm not. I don't think any blacks were working in that restaurant part of it because I never knew because we never went there. We never went to the restaurant, so I don't know who was working in there. Right. Uh, but there again, we just came conditioned to those situations. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like. We didn't even think about going to the restaurant in the back. I mean, that didn't even enter our minds. Yes, that's why like, I say we knew our place. It's just like, well, that's not for us over there. Absolutely, you, <laughs> and then you sense. didn't even think about going there. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's, it's not sound crazy. And when you saying uh, when I say that we became conditioned to that, we did. Yeah, we did in a lot of cases, and. Uh, uh, I tell you, when you uh, think about that city in the head in Greensboro, where these blacks went to uh, uh, Woolworths, yeah, it took a lot of courage to do that. A lot of courage. A lot of courage. I wouldn't, you know, never even thought about doing anything like that. So you would have never, no, took a stand, go to a protest, no. none of that stuff. No, no. Like I said, we knew our place. Yeah. Some was a little bit more brave and bold, but as a person, I wasn't. You know, I just, we, a lot of us just accepted things the way they were. Yeah. Well, see, that's interesting you say that you would have never really took a stand, but yeah. you've always exhibited pride in being a black man. Oh, yeah. You've always ex taught me the importance of embracing who I was understanding that not everybody's going to look at you with respect. Not everybody's going to look at you as valuable. That's so, right. So, you know, from growing up in segregation, growing up in times where it's in your face, there's nothing you can do. What do you think about today's situation where we see a lot of this and now all of a sudden it's coming to light as if we're trying to do something about it? Well, we should have. Uh, they tried to. Do, uh, we tried to, uh, to do uh, a lot of things about that, so far as equality and uh, just being free to live our life and uh, to pursue happiness during the '60s, uh, during the civil rights era. That helped some. But then again, I think after a while, uh, we as black people became complacent, you know. Uh, and even today, we really don't have no leaders. We don't have any leaders at all. Yeah, we don't have any leaders. But I think this uh, new generation, uh, where I am hoping will see some concrete changes from a, uh, a humanity from a humanity standpoint uh, that one day we can just see people as people and not color you know I, like I say it won't be in my lifetime maybe not but I could see these young people are pushing towards that. You know, when we realized that God didn't put America here, 
just for white folks. He put it here for all of us. And right. you know, until somebody can realize that, that we're all people, we all have the same basic needs, you know, and the, 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 sure the cultural differences and, you know, we're all different as individuals, but we're still people. And when people get to, if we can ever get to a point where we can see that, that this person's no better than me, this person wants the same thing I want, you know, we all basically the same creatures. Yeah, and we don't lose from other people being treated correctly. Like, that's what I don't get. Like, we don't lose from protecting other people's rights. We don't lose from making sure that someone is treated in a respectful manner. Exactly. And I mean, as long as humans live, you're going to have people who make really good choices. You're going to have people who make really bad choices. But as long as we keep trying to differentiate ourselves, and I'm not saying that black people should be proud to be white, black excuse me, black people shouldn't be proud to be black, or white people shouldn't be proud to be white. But when you think that you're better than another human being, is when you're wrong. I I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. And uh, you know, I just hope and pray one day it get to a point where in kindness will be to the forefront of everybody. It doesn't hurt to be kind to people. Uh, You know, just be civil and kind and caring. You know, we can't live in this world without each other. That's true. And I can't can't understand why people can't understand that. We need each other to survive. That's true. And when, you know, you start thinking you better than another human being, I mean, hey, that don't make any sense. But also, too, is there's no benefit in hating someone. Well, that's true. And as I, you've heard your dad say more than one time, and I still don't understand it, how can you hate somebody you don't even know? What's up, Imperfect Church? I hope that you've enjoyed part one of Keep Pushing with my dad. Um, I always enjoy talking to him. It's always a joy, an honor, a privilege, a blessing. Uh, Tune in for part two. Uh, Thank you again. I really appreciate you all taking the time to listen and to um, enjoy this podcast. Like I said, you can find us on Spotify as well as Anchor and Apple Podcasts. Um, Hope y'all are doing well. Um, you know, whether you do or you don't, you belong part two coming very soon. Thank you. God bless you. Goodbye.